The word of the Lord from Romans 6, 1 to 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin, sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation does come from the Romans passage in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, which serves as the basis for our Lent 4 midweek theme, Baptism as Waters of Life. We have seen it over and over again. People go to jail for one reason or another, and then they get out again. They might be released because they have fulfilled their obligation to society, but they might have been released early for good behavior or for parole or for probation. In any case, out they come to live outside of the bars of restriction. Now, that's not a problem in itself. People shouldn't be in jail forever unless that is justice for the crime. For all else, there should be release. But look what happens so often. Far too many, many get out and return to their lives of crime. And it's enough to give anybody fits. What's the point of letting anybody out when the risk is so high? The whole thing just seems outrageous. Back in Paul's day, at least in Rome, they had their own outrageous people who figured that what happens in the body is just something to set aside. More than that, some thought if you just sin as much as you want, it doesn't matter much because God gets more glory for the grace over it and it won't hurt the life in the body we're trying to get rid of anyway. They actually would ask this question. We hear first in this chapter of Paul's letter to Rome. Should we remain in sin so the grace might increase? The implication is that God would find glory in it anyway. He is generous and gracious towards sin. That's a miracle in itself, isn't it? Now, this is outrageous in our minds. Who could think like that? It seems such a terrible nonsense from someone who is supposedly Christian, but they had to know what was happening around them. 
There was this debate among them that people just went on sinning. And God seemed unconcerned. Jewish Christians would point to Gentile Christians and say, they still sin as much as ever. What good is being Christians without the laws of God that keep us all in line? The law that the Jews got from Moses. And others would respond, well, God forgives. That's the point. So why not sin more so God looks so merciful? Some good will come of it. It happens anyway, doesn't it? Now this sounds so much craziness to our modern and Christian ears. Still, I know you can be skeptical of a real and lasting change in Christians, especially the ones with a history, sometimes even yourself. Look at a people and you see scandals way too much, even in churches. Sometimes Christians do terrible things, things everybody knows are bad. You look in the mirror and you know you see a sinner there. What's the big change then? How can God be glorified if we and everybody else is and will continue to be sinners? It's an obvious question that even unbelievers ask. And we get upset at sin. We feel guilt at our own sin. And some go so far as to give up doing good because it is outrageous that Christians sin. At least God would get some credit for bringing forgiveness into the world. At least God would get some glory in finding mercy for sinners. It's just too hard sometimes for us to imagine settling for that when revenge and rebuke and renewed efforts to make a change seem so important. It's hard to believe that we aren't an embarrassment to him. It's true that God calls for us to be holy like him, perfect, just like him. It is outrageous that anybody sins, especially the big ones. It's even more outrageous that Christians sin, since they should know better and they have heard and received Jesus in their lives. Likewise, it is outrageous that Christians would be surprised that Christians sin. Of course we all do. It's not hopeless that we sin or that we are outrageous in the face of God. It is not pointless that we are forgiven, nor is it outrageous that we can forgive in the face of God. We know this in a very simple and expressive way from God himself. Christ died for us to make us holy. It is not outrageous magic. Neither is a ridiculous illusion. It is the Son of God on a cross, finishing in death the full and perfect grace of God. It is the truth and accomplishment of our baptism, the waters of life in Christ. That cross changes everything for everyone forever. That water changes everything for you right now, today. The reason you know sinning on like nothing has happened is outrageous is because you've been changed. Paul tells us today how we are different in the waters of life that your baptism is in the hands of God in Christ. He tells you how you are now today different by what has happened to you and by what you have come to believe. The point, the hope beyond hope, is that we now have and walk in a new life by that baptism, by 
that cross. We have grown together with Christ in his death, in his burial, and most importantly, in his resurrection. It is his new life that we live now, today. And our sins have passed away in his death. We're not slaves to sins anymore. We can abstain from sin in the Spirit's inspiration born of that cross and baptism, that water of life. And when we sin in that outrageous way, we are cleansed in those waters yet again. All that remains of the old Adam is now holy, washed clean in Christ's baptism. Sin and death are no more for us. Instead, we are now today holy and leading holy lives in the blood and cross, in the waters of life. If Christ did not do these things, if that baptism of life had not come in Christ, we would still live in sin, engage in sin, and die in sin. But we have been changed. Why does God let us keep sinning in such an outrageous way? Why doesn't he just put a stop to it and get rid of all sin? He has already done that. Sin no longer is the point. It has been overcome forever. Nothing can come of it in eternity for you or anyone that has the waters of life and believes what has been done to them. Christ's death is now the point, not punishment. Life is now the point, not death. Holiness of life is now the point, not sin. Christ's body and his word of life are holy. You are his body and you have his word of life in the waters of life. You are holy in Christ, saints in the son of the living God. It is baptism that brought the water of life to you now today. It is in baptism that the death Christ died, you received with him. In that death, You have died to sin. It is in baptism that in Christ's burial, you were buried with him. In that burial, you were taken out from the demands and condemnations of the law of God. It is in baptism that Christ's resurrection is yours also. In that life, you are holy as the body of God's own son. In these things, According to the waters of life that baptism is and the sacrifice and promise of God, sin is gone from you. Condemnation is gone from you. Death is gone from you. What remains is holiness, a sacred covenant of heavenly inheritance with God and eternal life with your God. It is by this water that Christ's death and burial and life are yours. It is by this water of life that sin has been taken from you. Condemnation has been taken from you and death has been taken from you. It is by water and by the sacred and unbreakable word of your Lord that these are done forever. By them also, God has given you his life of righteousness and holiness. There is a word used for cancer patients that have been relieved of their cancer. The word is, Remission. That is a word cancer patients want to hear. It means in a sort of way that they are no longer cancer patients. But on the other hand, it always rests behind the eyes that remission is not a forever word. It is relief, but it can come and haunt you again.
and even again. We use the same word when we who are sinners, which everybody who is paying attention knows very well, are relieved of our sins. Our sins are remitted. We have remission of sins. That terrible flaw that takes command of our lives, our actions, and even our death. When we have remission, we are relieved of sin and death by the waters of life. Now we have remission of sins, remission of the condemnation of sin, and remission of the sentence that is death. But there is a difference with this remission. Yes, you will still do sin sometimes, but you also have a permanent remission of that sin. You are a sinner, but you are a saint. No matter how many times sin takes your body to the wrong place, you are forgiven. You have Christ crucified. You have Christ in death and in resurrection. In baptism, in those waters of life, connected and commanded by your Lord to give you Christ, you are free of sin now and forever. This cure is that good. Even when you die, you are holy and alive. Amen. Now may that peace that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.